This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. We understand that with the growth of technology, that one of the more important and talked about areas of the country is Silicon Valley. But it's also an area where innovation and the change of the business model occurs quite often as well. Wall Street Journal staff reporter Alexander Wolf takes an in-depth look at the area in her book, Valley of the Gods, including the mindset of Peter Thiel, co-founder of PayPal, who has for the last several years offered a program that gives uh, or should say high school graduates going in to be 20-somethings, $100,000 to leave college behind and start their own business. Alex followed the path of a couple of these from the initial class back in 2011, and Alexandra joins us on the show right now. Great to have you with us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Uh, when you look at, at, at these examples that, that you followed over the course of a few years, how really different is the culture of Silicon Valley now than what it was when really it, it was getting its feet underneath it, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Well, now it really feels like it's such a phenomenon everywhere. I mean, the culture seems like it's it's spread uh, across the country, whereas I think when I first went out there, I was so shocked at, at all these new terms. I mean, hacking this and hacking that. And now now I kind of think that it's it's become so much more prevalent. Yeah. But what was it that got you started thinking about you know, doing a book on these on these people that were involved in Peter Thiel's program. Well, it actually started with um, I, used, I I went out to Palo Alto to visit, and I'm, I stumbled across this event called Cougar Night, and it was um, it was <laughs> so funny to me. Yeah, it was at, um, there was this hotel in um, in Menlo Park and uh, the Rosewood Sandhill, and um, every Thursday night there was this completely different ratio of men to women than you would see throughout the rest of Silicon Valley, which is, as, as we all know, mostly men. And this night there were all these women who were, you know, in their in their late 30s and 40s and sometimes 50s, and they were preying on these sort of young engineers. And I was really? so surprised at what was going on. And I remember wonder, asking the chef. I was there to interview the executive chef who had just gotten a Michelin star. And I said, you know, is this thing, what's going on on Thursdays? Is it really called Cougar Night? And he said, you know, it was so embarrassing. I was, I was on my way to work, and I stopped at Starbucks, and I saw on the barista's hand a sign that said Rosewood. He had it written in pen, and, I said, and he said, you know, why, why um, do you have Rosewood written on your hand? And he said, you know, if I go there Thursday night, I'm guaranteed to get laid. And the guy was like, oh, my God, I just got a Michelin star, and here this guy is coming to my hotel because, you know, he thinks that this is the only place to find women in Silicon Valley. And so I just thought it was such a funny world. I mean, I always thought that it was a bunch of people coding all night, and it was so much more colorful than I could have ever imagined. Well, and, and I mean, I think we, we, we understand that, you know, it, it there. That area of the country obviously had kind of the hippie mentality back in the yeah. '60s, and I, in going through the book, it seems like a little bit of that is still there, although it's kind of been updated for the tech run that we that we've been seeing the last 20 years. You're totally right. I mean, I was so surprised to find all the parallels. I mean, where Ken Kesey used to live um, on his windy road, now there are groups of CrossFit. Um, techies on in matching outfits you know on with through their you know riding with their company teams and so yeah. it's sort of it is the same sort of they all live in these co-living houses and 
and um, and everybody um, you know seems to spend so much time with 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 groups and 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 it's sort of this big. It seemed it felt to me like it was this big dorm. I mean, uh, the offices look like dorms, yeah. the houses look like dorms. Um, so instead of dropping acid, they um, they seem to uh, prefer the computer. But um, it was really funny the similarities. I was I was so surprised. What was it that What was it that really got Teal started thinking that this was the best way? To, to really push forward entrepreneurship? Well, I think in general, um, I feel like he's such a counterintuitive thinker. Right. And it was one of those things where I think first he thought, it, it, I mean, as I understand it, it felt like it was more... Let's let's shake the status the status quo a little bit. You know, why are all these students in debt? Why does everybody feel like they have to take this track? You know, maybe we could do something different. And it definitely wasn't the first uh, crazy idea that he had. Um, and it was, but it was kind of the first of one of these one of these ideas that that really took hold. I think the Peel Foundation was even surprised at how much attention and how many people, um, you know, wanted to do this or thought this was, oh, why are we paying so much for college? I mean, what is the return on the investment? Does everybody get a job after they spend four years in college? So, I mean, in the end, the whole whole process of researching it made me think, I mean, I'm not, I, I don't know if I would have necessarily dropped out of college if I were to do it again, but right. it feels like there has to be some kind of middle ground. I mean, maybe there's some other option other than spending four years doing this or not going at all, because they definitely had trouble when they when they went out to Silicon Valley. It wasn't smooth sailing for all of them. Boy, you took you took my last question that I had for <laughs> you and blew it out, because I was going to ask you, you know, seeing this and watching this play out over the course of a few years, would you have taken the offer from Peter Thiel to, to join a program like this if you had the opportunity to. Yeah, I mean, if I were, I'm 36, and so if I were to rewind and do this again, I probably would still do the exact same thing because I didn't have a big, you know, great billion-dollar idea back then. Sure, I mean, Now yeah. I think I would spend a lot of time trying to think of one, right. whereas then I just didn't even think it was an option. So right. in a way, it seems like it's really um, – it's, I think it actually has had a big impact on society in terms of it's not really that it's not as looked down upon to drop out of college or drop out of high school. Right. I mean, it's probably a lot to do with Mark Zuckerberg, who, um, as we all know, dropped out of Harvard, but um, to start Facebook. But not all of them end up that way. That's the only problem. Well, and you also talk a little bit about this uh, this relationship, or I guess maybe more correlation between the kind of the atmosphere and the culture that's out there in and around Silicon Valley, and and what's here. On the on the East Coast, you know, up Philadelphia, New York, up to Boston, and, and it, I guess to a degree, it's a little bit of a clash. And, and my question would be: Is how much potentially is Silicon Valley and what you see out there now starting to move into uh, kind of the mainstream here in New York, and is it making an effect? I mean, that's such a good question because at first I thought that there was, I mean, in a way I thought they were both so different in that I thought that Silicon Valley was so not about status. You know, the East Coast, you have a certain track, you, you, you have a certain status hierarchy, people are members of certain clubs, they go to certain schools, whereas there I thought, oh, this doesn't exist. But actually I felt like it really does exist. I mean, it, right. they had instead of, instead of driving your Ferrari, you drive your Prius and you keep your Ferrari in the garage. And then when you want to experience your house, a lot of them were getting building permits to build down, to build basements. And instead of name dropping, it was sort of location dropping. So it would be like, oh, I flew into Teterboro, and then I did this, and I did that, and I sort of, you know, so naming private uh, airports and 
and uh, using everybody. It's, it was sort of the experiential name dropping. And sort of, oh, I went to Bhutan yesterday for for you know eight hours and came back. Um, so, but the mindset, a, but the mindset of a lot of people that are out there in Silicon Valley, to a degree, is is very similar to the East Coast. They want to make lots yeah, of money, and they yeah, and they exactly. want to have and they want to have, but they also want to have an impact. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, and it's. I mean, that's really what it what it what it seemed to come down to. And and they this idea of oh, I want to change the world. Um, there, it just felt like such a cliche after I'd been out there for for a while. But in a way, I was sort of I was sort of a nice affectation to have. I mean, right. to hear people go around and be so optimistic, even if they were if it, they were just saying they were and saying, oh, I want this company to change the world. I mean, in a way, I sort of liked that. You know, I sort of it was it was nice to think, oh, I don't I to not just come out and say. You know, I want to make, I want a certain number. I want to make a lot of money. Um, but then, at the, on the flip side, it seemed kind of. I don't, you're probably you're you're at in at um, the University of Pennsylvania, but yep. so it felt in a way. It feels like another wave of those college um, career. I mean. When I was graduating, everybody wanted to go into investment banking or consulting. Sure. Then it was yeah. private equity, and now it feels like Silicon Valley and and becoming an entrepreneur. So, I mean, in a way, it does feel like it's becoming a bit of a bubble of entrepreneurs. But on the other hand, it, why not? I mean, it's such a good impulse. To, I mean, I felt like it was so um, inspiring to hear about all these people who wanted to start something new and wanted to start something for themselves. But it does feel like an awful lot of people are trying to do that. Alexandra Wolf is our guest. She is author of the book. Valley of the Gods, a Silicon Valley story. She uh, writes for the uh, Wall Street Journal. Uh, your comments welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866 is the number if you'd like to join in. Or if you can't get your phone, you can send us a comment via Twitter, either at bizradio, B-I-Z radio 111, or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. The book really, it, it looks at the paths of three of these people that were uh, in this first class uh, of Peter Teal's group. Uh, yeah. Give us a little brief scenario or summary of who these people were and where they are now. Sure. Well, I picked them out. Um, I, I, I met the first uh, group of fellows um, back in 2011, and, and I really picked them out. I sort of looked at what the, they had these final rounds for all the fellows, you know, who, among the, for, for, the, for those who would eventually be uh, selected. And I looked at the heat map of the room, sort of who everybody flocked to. Right. And one of them was this woman, Laura Deming. And I think in part they flocked to her because she's gorgeous. And she, you know, was this sort of, she's this little Asian um, doll-faced girl, and she had these huge combat boots on, and she <laughs> was sort of gesturing in this really um, definite, confident, determined way, but she was, and she was, I think at the time, probably around 17 or something, and she had started working at MIT when she was 14 in a lab. Um, so she was just a sort of odd mixture of, of um, sort of appeal and, and, and wonder for me. And then um, the other one was this guy, John Burnham, and he also was this charismatic, you know, wide-eyed, bright. He, this, he, he looked like a little model in a way, and he um, wanted to mine asteroids, and he was so sure of himself. And so it was this, and he sort of had this group of, of um, would-be investors circulating around him. And then another the last guy um, was this guy, James Proud, who actually has been quite successful. Um, he started this thing called the Sense, um, it's a sleep tracker, but he was this short British guy, and he looked like he was 12, except for he sounded like he was 50. And so he was just <laughs> this character, and I just thought these kids were just 
brilliant and interesting and i and i and they really um at least John and, and Laura really talked to me um, a lot throughout the entire program, and I sort of saw their ups and downs so closely that um, that it made for a good story. Well, Laura, I, I guess in reading this, was really interested in the aging process and, yeah. and, and anti-aging research and being able to bring this forward uh, to and be able to bring, I guess, potential solutions to this forward to the market faster, correct? Yeah, exactly. And she's been pretty successful at it. Um, she has her own little biotech firm. Um, and at the time, it was funny because she, one of her mentors was this guy named uh, Dr. Aubrey de Grey. And Peter Thiel had just given him uh, a little over $3 million to invest in um, uh, his research. To The idea was ending aging, that aging was just another disease. Right. And uh, you can end aging. And I, and I just loved Peter Thiel. Um, the New York Times interviewed him, and uh, he had this great line, and they said, you know, the, the writer said, why, why is everybody in Silicon Valley so uh, obsessed with immortality? And he sort of shot back, and he said, why is everybody else uh, so indifferent about their mortality? And um, <laughs> it, was kind of, it was so good. And, and I think she felt that. She was sort of like, why aren't we working on this? Why is everybody okay with dying? And um, it was something you don't hear. I mean, I didn't hear growing up or in New York very much saying, well, what? this is a big issue, people dying. Right. And so she was working on that. What about John? Because that's an interesting story, and in the fact that he wanted to mine, he wants to mine yeah. asteroids. Because I guess he he saw uh, there's this uh, one asteroid that that he was following, and I yeah, guess he exactly. believed he believe it has this untold value of platinum uh, within yeah. it. And he, in a, it's, he's so. I mean, I think the problem was just getting there. I think he's he, he there were all these minerals up there, and and he um, and. He thought we just had to figure out how to get there and bring them back. And um, it turned out a lot of other people with um, a lot more resources were working on the same problem. And so he ended up pivoting, or the euphemism for uh, completely failing and starting something new, um, to a new uh, company called um, Derek. And it was trying to uh, turn gold into a mobile currency. And um, and then I think that didn't work out. And then he ended up going back to college. He went to Dartmouth. And then two weeks into his time at Dartmouth, he came up with a new idea, and a blog picked it up, and it got all this traction. So he dropped out again, moved back to California, and then eventually that didn't work out, so he came back to Dartmouth. So he had this really roller coaster of a time. Um, so he was also he was he's now back at Dartmouth. I, I think it's interesting because if you look at at what kind of the education process is these days for a lot of people. Obviously, there are some people that have these great ideas and, and can move them forward. Then there are other people that m maybe don't have the ideas, but they're also not geared for college as well. So, I mean, it, it, it is also, it's a little bit of a statement on where we are with the education system in our country right now, too. I completely agree with you. I mean, it's it just not for everybody. And um, and then it also kind of made me think about the idea of whether high-achieving people um, have a problem with rules or structure. I mean, is there some kind of disconnect? It made me wonder, you know, maybe some of these people just are better working on their own. Maybe they don't want to be in a in a stuck in a system for four years. Um, but then I, there are also a fair amount of people who try and leave the system and are not successful. So um, so I don't know the correlation there. But it really did make me wonder about about what what higher education actually does now. 
Uh, Alexandra Wolf is our guest. Uh, she is the author of the book Valley of the Gods. She's also a reporter for the Wall Street Journal. Your comments welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Tell us a little bit more about Mr. Proud because uh, I guess, as you kind of said, you, you were able to really track and follow uh, the other two people fairly closely. But Proud seemingly has a, as much success as, as any of the three right now. Yeah, I mean he um he probably has has a bit more. I mean he's he was the first uh fellow to to have an exit. I mean he sold his he had a music a concert finding app that he sold pretty early. Um and he was I think the first fellow to actually move out there. He came from London. He had been he had been uh I think he'd been coding since he was 9 or something like that and and uh he he was very eager to get out there and he his company is actually pretty big and, and expanding right now. And Time Magazine named his uh, Sense Sleep Tracker one of the 25 top inventions of the year last year. Mm. Um, so, and he actually sort of went out on his own pretty early. So I, he wasn't he wasn't close with um, a lot of the fellows as I can remember. Um, but he was among a handful of, um, of of fellows from the following classes too, who actually did quite well. There's a guy um, named Ritesh Agarwal who has a you know hundred his hotel business is worth hundreds of millions now. Um, so some of them really did take off. Well, uh, it's interesting because with with him, obviously he has a le- level of success. But what is the what does the word failure mean to a lot of these people, and also to that area of the country as well? Well, that was the thing. I mean, of it is such a virtue. I mean, every time I failed, I never th- I thought it was I, I hate it. Right. But yeah. they, they're sort of a resume builder, and so um, instead of instead of saying on the East Coast, oh, we we went to Andover together, there it's sort of oh, we failed at the same company together, and it's sort of this funny. <laughs> It's a network of people who failed together, which I thought was so hilarious. But it's much more acceptable, that's for sure. Uh, well, with this book then uh, out, and, and obviously it, it has a, an interesting look at these three people, what kind of impact do you think this book and, and these stories are having with Teal and with his his move to kind of continue this forward because seemingly, I mean, he's been doing this now for several years and, and it doesn't seem like he's going to stop anytime soon. Correct. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know it's interesting. I asked, um, I asked the foundation, um, you know, but when I was, when I was finishing up the book, you know, in, in retrospect, what do, how, what do they think about the, the success of the program? And they, they were very bullish on it because in a way for, for them, it wasn't about, um, it wasn't about minting all these new, billion-dollar companies, it was more just letting people, giving people an opportunity to stop and think, oh, what do I want to do? Do I have to go to college? And so for them, they, they would say, um, or they said that was the aim of it, not necessarily to create, huge, I mean, they don't invest in the in the fellows' company, so they, they wanted to, I think, more make a statement and say, you can stop, first they were going to call them stopouts, not dropouts, you can stop and think and right. maybe think if there's some better idea that you can do, go for it. And here's $100,000 to do it. Um, even if you do end up going back to college, it's a good way to think of what you really want to do before you're sort of sucked into a group 
mentality that you might find at college. But the interesting piece to this is, and we've talked about, obviously, entrepreneurship on this show a lot, is the fact that the level of successful entrepreneurs ends up with a particular venture, I should say, ends up being relatively low. I mean, it's not it's not like 80, 90, 100 percent. So even some of these people that are getting the the nice seed money, one hundred thousand dollars, it's obviously not a guarantee of success. No, not at all. And it really felt to me out there like it, it reminded me of all the um, of what used to be waitresses going to Hollywood to try to become actresses. I mean, it's not the floods. It was a mania. I couldn't believe it. I remember I was on. Um, I went to this. Have you heard of Summit Series? You know that that um, it's a, they call themselves the Davos of the younger generation. And no. They have oh no. Mount, anyway, they have it. it was, it's one of these sort of. Um, they had a networking cruise, I guess, and <laughs> Peter Thiel was a keynote speaker. And I remember I got in the uh, elevator with him to go up to another level of the cruise ship, and I see this artist in the elevator, and I recognized him because I'd seen him on the uh, Real Housewives of New York. I was so excited. I said, oh, my gosh, you're Peter Tunney. I just saw you on the Real Housewives. And I go crazy and get all excited. And the next morning he points at me. He goes, that's the girl. She ruined my chance with Peter Thiel. <laughs> and I just couldn't believe it. You know, it's sort of this, like, how, why do everybody has, has an idea for, for a startup and they want funding for it. Um, but I do feel like the fellows, just by virtue of, of how they were selected and the uh, network that they got through uh, the program probably had a higher success rate than anybody who just came cold to Palo Alto and tried to raise money. But um, I, I would guess, though, that that it, just from that story alone, it, it is it is a positive thing to know that almost everybody does have some sort of story or, or plan that they think can be a very successful venture. I totally agree with you. I mean, I think that's great. I, I think it's it, for everybody to have something like that. I mean, it, it reminds me, I went to, um, for part of my research, it didn't actually make it into the book, but I took a bus across the country from New York to Austin, Texas for South by Southwest um, Interactive. Um, and uh, it was called Startup Bus. And everybody on the bus was supposed to team up and think of a startup idea while they were on the bus for four <laughs> days on the way to South by Southwest and then present it for a panel of judges to see if they could get funded um, at the festival. And it was like, how is this possible? I mean, I just read this other book, Upstarts, by uh, Bloomberg uh, reporter Brad Stone, and it talks about the years it took Airbnb and Uber to make it. I mean, they don't get written about in the first four days when they've hatched the idea. So it was so hilarious to me that that there were so many people leaving their careers to try to come up with a startup in a couple of days. Yeah. Um, but it's a, it's a funny world out there. Well, we're always looking for that next level of success. Yeah. Alexander, thank sure. you very much. Greatly appreciate your time today. Thank you. Uh, Valley of the Gods is the book, a Silicon Valley story. Alexander Wolf of the Wall Street Journal uh, is the author of the book. Uh, you can find it uh, in bookstores and online right now. Uh, you can pick it up, uh, and it's uh, it's a really uh, interesting look at uh, the successes and kind of bumps in the road uh, of these three people uh, and obviously some of the other people that were involved in that program as well. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.